you have your Bibles with you tonight, would you open them please to the second book in the Bible, the book of Exodus? Exodus chapter 14. We're traveling with Moses on Sunday night. And we're about to cross the Red Sea. Exodus chapter 14. For scripture reading, we're going to read about seven verses, but let's get to Exodus 14. We're going to be reading the words of Moses inspired by the Holy Spirit of God as he speaks to those of his day, as he speaks to us tonight. And he's going to tell us the story of the Red Sea in Exodus 14. Let's begin reading with verse 5. And it was told the king of Egypt, that the people fled, the Hebrews fled. And the heart of Pharaoh and of his servants was turned against the Hebrews. And they said, why have we done this, that we have let Israel go from being our slaves? Verse 9. So the Egyptians pursued after them all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh and his horsemen and his army, and they overtook them encamping by the sea. Verse 13. Moses said to the Hebrews, Fear you not. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you shall see them again no more forever. I like that. The Egyptians whom you have seen today, you shall see them again no more, not forever. Verse 21, Moses stretched out his hand over the sea as he was told. And the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night. And he made the sea dry land and the waters were parted or divided. And the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea upon the dry ground. Not the moist ground, not the muddy ground. It was rock solid dry. And the waters were a wall unto them on their right side and on their left. Verse 27. Moses again stretched forth his hand over the sea as he was commanded. And the sea returned to its strength when the morning appeared, and the Egyptians fled against it. And the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. And the waters returned, verse 28, covered the chariots and the horsemen and all the host of Pharaoh that came into the sea after them, so much that there remained not one of them left. That's a capsulization, a summation of Exodus chapter 14. The great miracle of Moses, but more importantly, the great miracle of God at the Red Sea. I heard about a sign that was standing eight feet high off a highway. And this is what the sign said. If this sign is underwater... The road is impassable, find a detour. <laughs> May I say to you, that is a silly sign. It's silly because it's so obvious. Well, 
that sign maybe is no more silly than many so-called scholars who cannot believe the story of Exodus chapter 14. They cannot, maybe better said, they will not believe that God performed a miracle there. Instead of believing in God, instead of believing in the power of God, they choose to believe in silly theories, silly speculation, silly opinionations, silly explanations. Let me tell you what some of these so-called scholars say about what we just read. Now remember, they deny God, they deny the power of God, so they've got to come up with something. So some of these so-called scholars say that Exodus 14 is all about a mirage. The Hebrews and the Egyptians were delusional. They were seeing things because they were dehydrated from lack of water. That's the explanation of some scholars. Other scholars say, no, 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 no. All of this Exodus 14 is just a fable. It, it was a fable that was made up in the minds of men to give the Hebrews courage and to give their enemies fear whenever they met. In other words, the Greeks have mythology, so do the Hebrews. This is nothing but Hebrew mythology, Hebrew folklore. Then still some scholars, now these, are, these, are, these, are, these teach sometimes in our universities, these guys. Sadly to say, there's some in our seminaries. They ought to have been run off a long time ago. But, but they also, some other scholars say, well, the Hebrews, they just are bad with records. They're not very good historians. They wrote down this story, but they, they misinterpreted the Red Sea for the Sea of Reeds. The Red Sea is 60 feet deep, maybe. The Sea of Reed is six inches deep. And the, and the Hebrews actually crossed not the Red Sea, but the Sea of Reeds. They walked through water that was only six inches deep. It's just all a mistaken translation. Then there's still other scholars. They say all of this was caused by an earthquake. An earthquake shook the ground, opened a big hole up, and the Red Sea all poured into the earthquake hole. Then it closed it up, the Hebrews crossed over, and then the earthquake rumbled again, opened back up, the water gushed back up and filled back the Red Sea. It was all coincidental, perfectly timed perhaps, but coincidental. And then some of these scholars who believe that they have more insight than others have come up with another one recently. That what we just read in Exodus 14, the, the miracle at the Red Sea, really wasn't a miracle of all. It was the result of ancient astronauts. We call them space travelers or space aliens who teleported the Hebrews from one side of the Red Sea to the other. Beam me up, Scotty. And up they went. Millions of them. And then they were deposited on the other side. 
Aren't you glad that we got such brains in America today? Ladies and gentlemen, get it down big, get it down plain, and get it down straight. God parted the Red Sea and made a way for the Hebrews to get to the other side on dry ground. God released the waters of the Red Sea back that he might destroy the Egyptians who wanted nothing to do with him. That's the truth. And that's the story of Exodus 14. A miracle of God. Now, I want us to, very briefly, we're not going to be here long tonight, to look at some lessons that we can learn from this story. The story is pretty, pretty clear-cut. Does it need to be told again? But let's, let's look at some truths, if we will, that we can learn from this that might help us. Because it says in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 11, all of these things happen for an example. They are written to us for our encouragement. These are not just stories about the past. These are stories about the present. These are not just the stories about Hebrews who are in trouble, but about perhaps you and I that are in trouble. This is not just a story about Satan's army, the Egyptians trying to take out God's people. Maybe it's a story about you and I, and people are trying to take us out. So this is not just a past tense, but it's a present tense story. But what are some quick lessons you and I can learn tonight as we look at Exodus chapter 14 and the story of the Red Sea? First of all, keep your Bibles open. I want us to see lesson number one, and it's this. God knows what he's doing. Pastor, you're pretty smart. That's good. That's what seminary education will do for you. <laughs> It'll teach you that. No, you don't have to be a seminary student or graduate to figure that out. God knows what he's doing. In Exodus 13, verse 18, look at that verse. It tells us that when God orchestrated the release of the Hebrews from the Egyptians, and they left Egypt, they left captivity, he directed their path. In other words, they were doing what God told them to do. God gave them the road map, you might say. Exodus 13, verse 18. God led the people about through the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea. And the children of Israel went up harnessed out of the land of Egypt. When God freed the Hebrews, he didn't say to Moses, you're now in charge, take them where you want to go. He didn't allow Moses to lead them in some wandering. He didn't allow Moses to lead them in some drifting. God said to Moses, this is the route I want you to go. Here is the map. Follow what I tell you to do. God was planning where he wanted his people to go. Now let me say, humanly speaking, it doesn't make sense when you look at God's directional map for Moses on how he's to lead the Hebrew people. It makes no traveling sense. If you're trying to get to the promised land, that's not the straightest route to go. It's not even the best route to go. 
It's kind of like trying to scratch your back by reaching behind your leg. Why in the world would God send them to the promised land by going around a circle to the Red Sea? I mean, that's a long way out of the way. That's like going to Columbia by going to Beaufort first. It doesn't make any traveling sense. It doesn't make any military sense. Even though the Hebrews were not soldiers, they did understand military strategy. Joshua was a military man who was with them. And if you look at what God's doing, it doesn't make any military sense. God's sending them to an area that's undefendable. God's sending them to an area that's unescapable. What military person would ever do that to his soldiers? Put them in an indefensible, unescapable situation. But that's exactly what God does. It doesn't make any traveling sense. It's out of the way. It's a long way out of the way. It doesn't make any military sense. They're going to be in a place where they can't get away. They're inescapable, where they have no natural defenses. It doesn't make any logistical sense. I mean, what are you going to do when you get to the Red Sea? It's not like there's ferries and boats there. There's no way they can cross. Why would God do that? There's no bridge for them to go over. Why would God do something that doesn't make any human sense? Because He's God. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not. God is so superior in wisdom that it's like you and I try to communicate with an ant. God doesn't communicate with us. He simply tells us. God doesn't want us to understand Him with our head. He wants us to trust Him with His heart. The just walk by what? Faith. Faith. Moses, I have delivered the people. Take the people here. And I'm sure Moses is scratching his head. It doesn't make any sense. But Moses is a man under command, ladies and gentlemen, and so are we. It's not for us to question our master. It's just to do whatever he says. God knows what he's doing. Lesson number one. You might not think he does. You might be in a situation tonight. Where you say, God, I don't don't understand this. What you're allowing to happen to me, what you're causing to happen to me, doesn't make any sense. Not to you it doesn't. But to God it does. We've often used this illustration. When I coached football, I coached football from the sideline. If you've ever watched a football game from the sideline, it looks like 22 men... And anarchy, 22 men of chaos. I mean, it's just difficult to figure out what's going on when you're looking at it from the sideline. But when you go up to the top of the press box, which I also worked at times, the scene changes. This massive confusion, this massive chaos, 22 men running around, hitting each other, seemingly with no rhyme or reason to anything they're doing. 
all of a sudden when you look at it from the press box downward, you see it's beautifully orchestrated. Those 11 offensive players, they have a place to be, they have a purpose in that place, they have a responsibility to fulfill, and they do it. The defensive side, likewise. It's it's a beautiful, it's almost like a dance, if you will. As they each go into their positions and fulfill their responsibilities. You and I can only see ground level what's going on. But God sees it from above. That's why the old gospel song says we'll understand it better by and by. Hard to understand things when you're looking at it ground level, but when you look at it from God's perspective, up from above, up top, it all makes perfect sense. It really does. Second lesson, God leads the way. God not only says to Moses, this is where I want you to go, and here's the map to take to get there, But God is now going to be out front and do the leading. Notice Exodus 13, verse 21. And the Lord went before them. Who's the them? The Hebrews. The Lord went before the Hebrews by day in a pillar of a cloud to lead them in the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light to go by day and by night. When God tells us to go somewhere, God doesn't say, I'll see you when you get there and take a nap. He doesn't go on vacation. He doesn't get preoccupied with something else. When God says to you or I or to this church or in the case of the Hebrews of Exodus 14 with the Hebrews, when God says to go, he says, follow me. This is where we're going, but follow me. I'm not going to trust you to know where to go. I'm going to lead you. And he led the Hebrews, the Bible says. He led them with a cloud. He led them with the pillar of fire. He also leads his people today, by the way. He doesn't use a cloud. He uses his Holy Spirit. He doesn't use a pillar of fire. He uses the Bible, the Word of God. It's a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path, that speaks of the Scriptures. So, ladies and gentlemen, he directs our path. Dave Boyer had a song many years ago, and part of the lyrics of that song was, His hand leads me, an invisible hand. That leads me through. You can't feel the hand of God, but it's on you. You can't always see the presence of God, what He's doing, but it is He is there and He's before you. He's making the way. So God's saying, Moses, go here. But Moses, as you go, You can just follow me, because I'm going to take you there. Wow. He will direct our paths, says the writer of Proverbs. What do we do while we're waiting? Because sometimes the Lord doesn't come early, does he? He's not early, often. 
He's never late, but he's always on time. We're to be still. We're to be patient. We're to be careful. We're to be prayerful. Everything I'm I'm telling you is active-passive or passive-active, if you want to be that way. Essentially, we just wait on Him. We're still. We're not running around like a bunch of Indians. We're to be patient. I don't know about you, but I don't like patience. I want something done. I want it done right now. How about you? Don't sit out there and look at me like a wide-eyed calf dying in a hailstorm. When you want something, you want it now too. But we're to be still. We're to be patient. We're to be careful. We're to make sure that what we're looking for and listening to is, is God himself. We're to be prayerful, asking God to to show us. And in His time and in His way, ladies and gentlemen, He will do that. And then He one day will say, go. He'll say, quit being still, quit being patient, quit being careful, quit being prayerful, and get up and go. And that's exactly what He did with the Hebrews. He told them in Exodus chapter 14, verse 9. Look at that verse. It's a funny verse. There's a lot of humor in the Word of God. And it says in Exodus 13, excuse me. Well, I've done lost the verse. Your pastor's lost the verse because it's not there. But basically, what he says to them, you'll have to take my word. He said, I don't have time to look for it. Time's running out. But what he says is, quit your belly aching and be quiet and just do what I say. In other words, go. There's a time to be still, but there's a time to go. There's a time to be patient, but there's a time to go. There's a time to be careful, but there's a time to go. There's a time to be prayerful, but there's a time to go. And he says, when I tell you to go, the cloud and the fire will be there. Follow it. And it will take you to where I want you to go and to be. Are you think listening to me now? God has a place that he wants to take us to, and maybe you're already there. If you're not already there, God is preparing to lead you there. It may not be what you will like. It may not be what you will want. But he's going to do it. Third lesson. Obstacles to us are an opportunity for God. Exodus 14, verse 9. The Hebrews have been let loose. They're following the Lord to the Red Sea. In verse 9, the Egyptians pursued after them. Pharaoh said, let them go. Then he changed his mind. The people said to him, why have you let them go? They're our servants. They're our slaves. Who's going to do the work now that you let them go? And Pharaoh said, you're absolutely right. 
and he ordered the mightiest army in the world of that day, go get them. It says in verse 9, they pursued after the children of Israel. They pursued after them. We read a little bit further. They pursued after them with 600 chariots. Chariots were the tanks of that day. I was just talking to Jim before the service. Those chariots consisted of a three-man team. There was a driver, there was an archer who was used to shoot arrows to keep the infantry away from the chariot, and there was a commander that led that particular chariot. So you had a driver, a commander, and an archer. Three men on a chariot. 600 chariots unleashed against the Hebrew people. If they reach the Hebrew people, there will be a slaughter that will be perhaps never repeated again in history. Because the Hebrew people total in the millions and they have no weapons and they don't know how to fight. So the mightiest army in the world is now after them. An obstacle, if you look at it humanly, maybe so. But an opportunity for God, absolutely. I mean, how many of you wouldn't say this situation doesn't look good? God is moving these people to the Red Sea. Again, a place where they cannot escape and they have nothing to defend themselves there with. God has led them into this position. The mightiest army in the world is now coming for them. They can't get across the Red Sea. They're trapped, and Pharaoh's coming, not only to carry some of them back for servants, but to slaughter them. He is irritated with them. He's mad. He's angry. He wants revenge for the humiliation he's been through. He's pursuing them with blood in his eyes, and he wants blood on his hands. It looks bleak, it looks dark, it looks gloomy. The only thing that the Hebrew people can think about is, we're going to die. Moses, why did you bring us out here just so we could die in the desert? Is there not enough cemeteries in Egypt for us to die there? Are you going to open up a cemetery for us, Red Sea Cemetery? And allow us to be buried here? Moses, what are you going to do? God is about to do something, not Moses. God is about to show off. You know God shows off occasionally. And God is about to show off for his people. And for the people who will read this story throughout history. God is about to do something that only He can do. He's about to do a miracle. And the miracle is He is going to take the deep Red Sea, the mighty Red Sea, and He is going to move it back. A wall of water to the left, a wall of water to the right, and in between, a wide open space of solid, dry ground. Not moist, not muddy, not damp. It's like concrete. You can move quick on it. 
And he sends the Hebrews through it. And they will get through. And once they're through and safe, the Egyptians pursue them. And of course, you know the story. God's hands gets tired, so he moves them away to rest. No, he don't get tired, but he moved his hands away. And the wall of water to the left and the wall of the water to the right collapsed on the Egyptians. And 600 chariots, 1,800 of the finest soldiers they had, drowned, never to be seen again. Just as God said to the Hebrews, you'll never see them again. You see, God is a God of miracles. God led his people to the Red Sea. He brought them to the Red Sea so that they would learn how to trust him for the days that will come. And he performed a miracle for them that they would see that if he can do one miracle, he can do other miracles. Do you believe God can do miracles? I believe the reason we don't see many miracles today in the church is because I don't really believe we believe in them. We really just, we just really don't. But God can do miracles. You say, Pastor, I'm at the Red Sea. God can part your Red Sea too. Pastor, I, I'm, I got a, the fortress walls of Jericho in front of me. Do you know God can bring those down too? God, I need just a little bit of time. Time is running out. God, can you give me more time? The same God who stood the sun still and held back time so Jonah, uh, Joshua could complete his work can give us time too. He's still parting Red Seas. He's still bringing down walls of Jericho. He's still holding the sun still. He's still bringing down giants who are arrogant and bullish. He's still wiping out the enemy that stands in our way. 185,000 Assyrian soldiers, savage and sadistic, received a visitation from an angel of God, the Lord Jesus most probably. And they died in one night. You don't mess with God's kings and people. You don't. The God of miracles then is the God of miracles today. What we see as an obstacle is an opportunity. Lesson number four as we move forward and wind up is we're to have faith and not fear. Exodus 14, verse 14. The Lord shall fight for you and you shall hold your peace. That's Moses speaking to the people. He says, don't doubt, don't grumble, don't be afraid, don't take matters into your own hand. God is about to do something. Have faith in Him, trust Him. He knows what He's about to do. As we wait on God, who knows what he's about to do in our situations, may I suggest we pray, 
call upon the Lord and he will answer us and show us great and mighty things that we cannot know, we cannot do. May I suggest we also obey him, whatever obedience means. Remember what Mary said to the servants at the wedding? Whatever he says, don't do it. No. Whatever he says, do it. Don't try to figure it out. Don't try to understand it. Just do it. Pray, obey. Have faith. Don't be afraid. God will not let you down. The God who led you to your Red Sea, the God who has put you in a position that you can't do anything, is about to perform a miracle. Trust Him. Don't be afraid. And then lastly, praise God when He delivers. The last lesson. When God leads you to your Red Sea, to your Jericho, to your valley where there's a giant named Goliath, when God leads you to a place where you need more time, when God leads you to a place where there's danger and peril and threats against you, and it seems overwhelming, when God brings you there, when God tells you, don't worry, trust me, I know what I'm doing, I'm going to do something. As you wait on your miracle, and it will come, whatever it may be. When it happens, give God the praise. In Exodus chapter 15, the Baptist Hebrews become Pentecostals. They start waving their hands. They start dancing a little bit. They start shouting. They start testifying. They start amening. There's a celebration. There's a party going on. Because God has just performed for them a miracle that only God could do. There's a joy in the house of God. And in Exodus chapter 15, that's what it is. That's a party chapter. There's excitement among the Hebrews because God did what he said he would do. Oh, that wouldn't be some excitement every now and then in the house of God, the church of God. When's the last time you got excited about something Jesus has done? Lessons we learn. God has brought you to where you're at. Shake your head. I don't know where you're at tonight, but God has brought you there. And God is going to lead you to where he wants you to go. As he's taking you to this place or you're at this place. God can handle your situation. I don't know what your situation is. Maybe you believe it's hopeless. I'm telling you, God can handle it. He specializes in handling tough situations. Trust God tonight. Don't give in to fear. Don't give in to panic. Trust God. I didn't say understand God. Trust God. Pray. Obey. And when God steps in and does for you and I what he did for the Hebrews, let's give him a shout. 
Let's give him some praise because he's worthy of that. In closing, if I did something for you and you never said thank you, I wouldn't be much inclined to want to do something for you next time. Now, I realize I'm human and we we look at things differently. But you know, God has emotions too. How do you think God feels when he does things for us over and over and over again and we never say thank you? We never give him praise. We never give him a shout. We never tell others what he's done. We just sit on our hands and hold our head low. Learn to be a people of praise. As I told you this morning, God inhabits, he visits the praise of his people. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed.